Welcome to the Coworking Out Loud podcast, an exploration into storytelling, community, and the art of being human. This is episode 18 of the Coworking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Kat Johnson. This week I spoke with Tony Bacigalupo from New Work Cities. Tony is a North Star of co-working. He's been a leader in the movement for a decade. He's all in on community-focused co-working, and he's helping space operators around the world open spaces that transform lives and communities. Tony and I chatted about the something more of co-working, the deeply human need to belong, and the potential of the global co-working movement to make a massive impact for good. Let's dive in. Hey, Tony, welcome to the Coworking Out Loud podcast. Thanks for being here. It is such an honor to hang with you, Kat, on this podcast. I'm a fan and I'm so excited to be here. Oh, thank you, friend. Um, This is fun. Last time we podcasted, you were interviewing me for Juicy Radio, and now we're, we're flipping the tables a little bit. There we go. It goes around, comes around. Yep. Um, how? What was your juicy experience this year? By the way, I you were MC, and it was fun to see you up there doing your thing. Absolutely. Yeah, it was an incredible experience. You know, every year when Liz Elam kind of tops herself in terms of what she's doing, we always wonder how she's going to top it again. And just this incredible opera house in Denver was uh, such a great venue for continuing to step things up. And I got to step up too, not only facilitating the unconference as I've done with Ashley for many years and uh, leading the Camp Juicy community workshop, but also taking my hand at a full day of emceeing on stage. And it was just such a great opportunity, honestly, to connect with old friends, make some new friends, and in particular, meet those people who are just getting started, who are in some cases, building the first co-working space in their whole area. So, um, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm still hooked on the co-working conference thing. Yeah, I'm hooked too. Um, you know, and Tony, you're, you've been a big part of my co-working story and journey. And one of my probably the first big aha was um, in 2015 when you kicked off Juicy, saying like, how many of you think that co-working's about dividing up? commercial real estate for profit and everyone kind of sat there all uncomfortably and then you said how many people think it's about something more and of course every hand went up and it gives me chills thinking about it that moment I was like what is that something more like what is that thing that goes beyond open space and phone booths and all that stuff and this was years before I kind of went all in on co-working, but I, that moment was definitely like a defining part of my story. That, that's unreal that you mentioned that, Kat, that you're reminding me that we've been having this conversation for that long and honestly many years be before that even, but just today I was working on a document kind of outlining my plans for what I want to do next and I was contending with that very same question. What is that something more? And so that's something that's very much on my mind right now. It's, I find it hard to put into words. I spend my all day, every day trying to put that into words in various ways. And the angle I take is like through storytelling, letting space operators tell their stories through me and things like that to try to get at those, those subtleties. But some of it's so... 
like this morning, um, someone came up to me. I had just set down my bag at Next Space, and she came up and said, can you talk for a second? And so we like pulled over into a corner and talked about um, gender challenges and non-binary identities and things. And for like 20 minutes, we got into it. And um, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, you show up into a, a circle of people, into a community of people and life shows up and life happens. And um, it's amazing. I could like that would not happen if I was sitting at at home. Well, yeah, and those stories and so many more, I mean, people's lives have been saved. Businesses have been built and, and lots of small ones, lots of big ones. Economic impact has been created. I mean, there's so much that has happened that is good as a result of these spaces that, you know, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm really incensed at the fact that we have to continue to be getting lumped into the same conversation as people who are just renting office space. You know, like I, when I introduce myself to strangers out of the party or something, you know, they ask me what I do and I say, I've, I've caught myself saying, oh, you know, I help people build co-working spaces, uh, but it's not like the spaces you're thinking of. I'm helping people build like something better and more special and more meaningful, but I feel like I have to qualify it. Like I feel like I can't just say, oh, I help people build co-working spaces because they assume that I'm, like a commercial real estate consultant. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with commercial real estate, but it misses out on all of this stuff that's actually happening that's so meaningful. And uh, I, I'm not happy, I'm not satisfied with the fact that that story isn't being told in a more decisive and clear and resolute and unambiguous way. Yeah, in, increasingly it feels like we're having two different conversations Right. And um, I think there is some overlap. I'm excited about spaces that have the, the super strong foundational things in place that kind of allow for sustainability, but also our community co-working spaces like that. That sweet spot is is exciting to me. But yeah, it's it's kind of nuts thinking about like to have someone assume that you're a commercial real estate consultant when that's like so wildly far from who you are in this world <laughs> yeah and it's fine you know they're like the, the the we the, the whole point of the movement was to change the status quo of entire industries and so the way that we even relate to work has shifted in no small part thanks to the role that co-working has played changing the image of what work is if you ask a random person on the street what is work today, they might give you a very different answer than they would have given you 10 years ago because they might be picturing a co-working space or at least a space that's been affected by co-working. And so mm -hmm. I think it's great that the commercial real estate industry, as we know it, has been moved by the movement that is changing it. Um, but at the same time, we can't let ourselves be lumped into it because the story is way deeper and cooler than that. You know, um, I want to hear some people listening may know your co-working story, your origin story, but um, for those who don't, I'd love to hear that. And at the same time, the question that just came to mind is like, right now, it's really clear what you just said about changing industries. But um, back 10, 12 years ago, or even earlier than that, do you think um, people like yourself who were really early into, into the movement, did you have that same sense that this was going to change everything? You know, I feel like we did. 
I think there were some key moments when it became more and more apparent that that was the case. Even around, I would say 2008 was when I first went to South by Southwest in Austin in March. And at that time, there was a meetup that was happening of co-working people who were all gathering in South by, at South by, to talk about co-working stuff. And it was very apparent then that there was this thing that was happening that was emergent. There were people who were kind of coming to the same conclusions from different corners of the earth who were all kind of digging on the same idea at the same time. And we just got the sense that, wow, you know, this is just the beginning. And what we're on to is, is radical. And I guess intuitively we could sense something that we kind of knew we didn't fully understand at the time, which was that we know technology is changing everything about how we work and how we live. And having Wi-Fi and having laptops which was really something we started to have a critical mass of starting in 2005, 2006, 07, was just going to absolutely change everything. And it did. And it may have taken us some time for us to really wrap our minds around it, but the fact that I have this little device that I can take with me and I can work from anywhere, I can work from a park bench, from a, from a bus, from an airplane, uh, you know, that, like that's, that's so incredibly radical that it's just going to, it's going to probably take another decade or two for us to really fully even understand where it's going to take us. But yeah, we had a sense of it from very early on that this was the beginning of something really big. And if I'm remembering your origin story, you went to someone's house. Is that right? They like opened up their house. Or, um, and I, I remember mostly the feeling that you've expressed to me of being like, what is this real? Like, we're all just going to show up. I'm welcome just to show up and, and be here. Will you tell yeah. me a little bit about that just for people who don't already know? So it was March of 2007. I was working from home for a web development firm. I was a project manager. And I had this issue because I had always had this dream that I wanted to not have to work in the office. And I thought working from home was the answer to that, that you know, I wouldn't have to commute. I wouldn't have to sit in this office. I'd be able to be comfortable at home. And I worked from home. Working from home started driving me crazy. No new story there. Everybody else who's listening to this identifies. But I didn't know what the answer was. Because at the time, all I knew of was working in the office and working from home. And I remember at the time thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be great if there was something in the middle? And um, at the time, I, I wish I knew what the Google search was. But I searched something, and I found co-working. And I found what was happening in New York at the time was this thing called Jelly. It was run by this entrepreneur named Amit Gupta, who's this amazing guy. And it was something he did once every other week in his loft five-bedroom apartment in Midtown Manhattan. And it was an event. And that was a really big part of what got me into it was that it was this special thing that only happened once every two weeks. And you had to put your name on a list and you had to show up. And there was the sense of this was a special event. And the people who were there, you kind of knew who you were going to see because you looked at the list beforehand. And Amit has amazing friends. So it was a very well curated event, despite the fact that it was technically open to the public. Uh, and I realized after the fact that it was kind of curated simply by way of the fact that most people just didn't even know that it existed and most people didn't work from home. So there was only a limited number of people who were kind of ahead of the curve enough to even be there. 
but that first day changed my life. And um, that was when I was first in a room with peers who worked for themselves and who also accepted me, despite the fact that I was a salaried employee at the time. I felt kind of weird. I was the only one there who didn't have my own website and stuff like that, you know? Um, and I said, I want this all the time. This is the answer. This is that happy medium. Uh, and I want this every day. And I want lots of other people to be able to experience this too, because this is the kind of relationship with work I want to have and not the kind of relationship with work I saw so many people have growing up that I thought was just very unhealthy. I was just thinking about that this morning that, um, what I want most in this life is just to be able to um, do my life in the rhythms that suit me and that work is a big part of that and how fortunate I am that um, I get to kind of decide how I do my work and and show up into a community of people who, who support and really, really want me to do that. Like when I came, when I first started co-working, um, I was doing a lot of different things. I was still working at the record store most of the time. I, you know, started popping in and out. But people here were like, do it, fucking do it, do your thing, try <laughs> stuff, you know, like so much encouragement to like get out of that kind of structure of work that we know and, and liberate ourselves into what we want to do, into our, our purposeful work and, and things that really stoke us. Yeah, absolutely. And for so many people since then, their lives have been changed the way that ours have because of these communities. Um, and that's even with us not even coming close to realizing the full potential of most of these spaces. A lot of people who are running spaces now are only just barely scratching the surface of what they're capable of. And so there's that much further that we can go from, from here. Yeah, so then to breeze through your timeline, you opened Newark City, your own space, and became um, kind of a, a household name in co-working, went on, now you're doing Newark Cities Consulting. What are you, what are you up to with Newark Cities? Yeah, so in the course of building Newark City, singular, in New York, which was Manhattan's first co-working space, we got a lot of notoriety because the press started to catch on to co-working. And when they were looking up co-working spaces, they found us in New York. And so we were very visible in that regard. And I just got very active in the global communities. I still remember when I was a lurker in the co-working Google group, when I was afraid to post, uh, when I just got started, because there were all these incredible people on there who were running spaces talking about co-working every day. And eventually I did muster up the courage to post. Uh, just reflecting what I had heard other people say ahead of me. And I got positive reinforcement from heroes of mine, like Alex Hellman and Tara Hunt, who are some of the folks who are really responsible for it being a global movement today. And so I continue to be vocal. I continue to be vocal on that Google group. And I hope that folks who are listening to this feel encouraged to do the same. I started going to every co-working conference or pre-conference or meetup that I could you got involved in those co-working conferences from very early on. So I've been speaking at conferences uh, on five continents now. So there's just been a lot of visibility uh, in terms of my involvement. And along the way, I found that the role for me was more in really helping others to build more, better and, and more thriving and successful spaces all over the world. 
uh, more so than it was for me to be an operator myself. And so I switched to focusing on that through New Work Cities, where I developed a toolkit and a business model template and a group coaching program and a bunch of things like that, really just trying to take everything I learned, everything I had built, and make it available to other people who uh, would otherwise spend a lot of time and energy working on stuff that I already dealt with years before that I could help them, you know, help save them some time so they could be more likely to be, be more successful and less stressed out. And so since then, uh, got into New Work Cities in uh, early 2016 was when we started that. And I've helped just hundreds and hundreds of spaces since then all over the planet. And um, it's been amazing. So that's, that's kind of what, uh, what's been keeping me busy the last few years is just helping lots of people build these spaces everywhere. I like to know that you're at the helm of people who are in that transition from not having a space to having a space and you're giving them all that good magic about what co-working is and, and launching them with, with that movement perspective. And you know, you're such a community building natural. Like last time we were in Seattle together, we walked into office nomads and like I sat down and started working on a puzzle and I looked over like 10 minutes later, you had like eight people around you and you were like facilitating something like in no time flat, you were doing some something. And um, it's been cool to watch you digging deeper into the, um, the gathering community connection stuff and what the work you're doing with Gathering Lab and the recent Gathering Summit, which was absolutely inspired. Um, tell us a bit about what you're doing with that, the vision for that, and how it um, how it connects with your work in co-working. So the thing is that what we're all doing here is only tangentially related to workspace. It, you know, the reason that workspace is even in the equation is because we found ourselves isolated from each other because of the fact that we're no longer working in traditional offices where we would, where we would normally be dealing with other people. When we're working at home, we're isolated. When you're working in a cafe around strangers, you're still isolated. And so it portends this kind of larger trend around the way that people gather and find each other and connect to each other has shifted so drastically and in so many ways and so the co-working side is really just kind of one piece of a much larger equation that's happening as far as a societal shift in how we interact with each other as people. And that's shifting in a lot of ways. So with this most recent work that I've done with Gathering Summit, where we did this online conference uh, for, uh, for four days, where we uh, did a bunch of interviews with some amazing people from all different walks of life, we discovered that there are all these other issues that are happening that are kind of related. Religious affiliation has been on the decline for a long time. The way that people deal with a lot of kind of basic tribal societal things like processing grief or even finding love is shifting and people are having a hard time with it. I spoke to a woman who's a matchmaker who says that in theory, her job shouldn't exist in a world of all these incredibly prolific apps. And yet her business is booming because people are having trouble finding real authentic connections through these technological media that, that are being 
kind of inserted there. And so what we're finding is that there's this whole bigger trend of an issue around how are we all connecting? How are we all actually making friends with each other and finding belonging and finding even meaning in our lives in this day and age right now? And I think that that actually speaks to this thing that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, which is, what is this actually about? What is that more than a workspace? And how can we put perhaps some more specific language behind that so that when somebody uh, needs us, that they know to come to us, even if they don't need to rent workspace? And one of the most startling statistics, I think, that came out in the last couple of years was the number that Steve King shared at a Juicy, I believe it was in Berkeley, where he said that the co-working uh, world, despite all the talk of saturation, is only reaching around two, maybe 3% of the potential market of people who could be in co-working spaces. And that's just so wild, but it makes sense if you do a quick gut check. You think of any cafe anywhere on earth, and what's there? Tons of people on laptops. And those are just the people who left the house. So there, and if you look at the numbers, there's you know 50 million independent workers in the U.S., 50 plus million, seven plus million remote workers. So there's a lot of people who could be in co-working spaces who aren't, and it's because they don't need to pay a bunch of money for the workspace. But what we do find is that there is a massive need for belonging. There's a massive problem around distraction and focus and all these other things that we just talked about. And co-working spaces, if we even want to keep calling them that, but these shared gathering spaces that we're talking about can be places where these kinds of things can be getting solved. And I think that's where there's just so much untapped potential that I want to continue to explore with the other people who do have spaces who would be interested to explore it with me. Yeah, that belonging piece is huge. I Last night, a friend and I were on a walk and um, we started talking about how we're almost desperate to connect with people. So the, I was telling her the story, this woman put up a little free library in her front yard. And prior to that, she had just kind of like would wave at neighbors occasionally, but didn't really know anyone in her neighborhood, even though she had lived there for years, put up a little free library. And within an hour, like three or four different neighbors had come over and they were all chatting about stuff. And like, we had this desperation to connect with people, but there are kind of these societal things in the way of like, you know, you don't talk to people at the, in the grocery store line, or you just wave at your neighbors. But as soon as someone opens the door, just a teeny bit, like by sticking a little free library in their yard, people came flooding out to be like, Hey, me too. I like books. Like I'm a human. Oh, you're a human too. Awesome. You know, it's just like these transformational things don't have to be huge. People are hungry. And a lot of what we found is that it doesn't take a lot to open that up. It just takes the right kind of entry point. But ultimately, it's very simple things. It's very human things. So much of what came about during Gathering Summit was the importance of food. One of the researchers that we interviewed said, that he doesn't believe that deep connections can be formed without food yeah. <laughs> or something along those lines that essentially that you have to have a, you have to be able to have a feast and break bread for people to form a certain level of a bond with each other. Um, so a lot of this stuff is really just as simple as giving people a little bit of that, that nudge and that sense of permission. 
Yeah, just this morning on Twitter, I shared this study that um, they they found that if people share a meal before a project, they're more likely to cooperate during the project and find like common solutions. And it's like, of course, right? Like once you're eating with someone, a whole bunch of those barriers have fallen away already. Yeah, it's in our, it's encoded in our nature. We trust each other more. It's just our, it's our ancient caveman nature that that was part of, that's part of how we function. Yeah. So and when you within, think of it from the term, in terms of like the effort that a co-working space puts into creating community, I think a lot of spaces are, I don't want to say missing the point, but are expending a lot of energy trying to get people to participate in stuff that is actually creating kind of this backlash of people who just want to be left alone. And so when I talk about the importance of this, from this programming and, and this, this act of gathering and this kind of stuff from a co-working perspective, if we're doing it really well and if we're being clever about it, it shouldn't have to feel like this big effort. It shouldn't feel like we're trying to drag people to this really complicated network of programs we're trying to do. It should be able to be something that we can do very simply. And a lot of it's about how you invite people into that experience from long before they're even members that if you're creating invitations for people to come in and participate in very simple things like breaking bread and, and having conversation, that's going to pave the way for a different kind of member who's going to treat their relationship to your space um, very differently. And that's, that's going to be a lot easier. So as much as we're talking about the importance of this, I also want to emphasize I'm not advocating for you to bust your hump doing lots and lots and lots of events if you're finding that you're banging your head against the wall from that. It can actually be a lot simpler. Yeah, and I think what people don't want to hear, but actually the thing that I love so much because it's not, you can't throw money at it and make it happen, is that it takes time and it takes an investment of emotions and energy and humanness, right? Like um, we don't we don't make connections in an hour or we might make the initial spark in an hour or a day or a week, but it takes time for these things to, to kind of blossom. And I, I, I really love that, that it's not scalable, that you can't just, um, you know, some of the, some of the big, huge brands are, are some of them are trying to figure out how to get the community piece happening beyond programming and stuff. Cause it's not easy to do. And it takes a certain something and it takes um, showing up all day, every day. You know, I kind of think that it is scalable in the sense that co-working itself has scaled. It's just not, it's just not owned by one person. And I think that there's nothing inherently impossible to what it takes to do it well that that can't be reproduced consistently that can't be taught it's just i think that what happens is that the people who do try to build large-scale businesses apply a mindset that is different from what the what it takes to do this right if that makes sense so like i'm not saying it's not i'm not saying it's not scalable it's just that uh like a lot of people that are used to scaling things tend to scale things in a way that are counter to the way that you'd have to do it if you wanted to scale it up this way, if that makes any sense. It does, but I want to hear more about it. So like, say you have, you know, you you just opened a space and you're hiring a community manager. What, what do you think are some of the ways you would go about finding? I, I think that's a big question people have, like, how do you even find someone to run a space and then help them understand what their job is? 
yeah, I would say that the probably the issue right now is that the people who are hiring that community manager are treating them like a customer service manager for a hospitality business where it's about the renting of the space. It's about servicing the clients, making sure that the coffee's full and all that stuff. And that's absolutely and totally fine. The hospitality industry, excuse me, the hospitality industry side of co-working is kind of the most proven profitable way of doing things. It's just that on its own, it doesn't make you stand out from the big chain across the street that's doing the same thing as you, except they got billions more to spend, right? So you still do have to have that other edge. And so if I were to hire a community manager uh, or a team, you know, we're going to have people who handle a hospitality thing, sure. But there's got to be somebody who is managing the relationship and the process by which somebody becomes a part of the organization, and when I say organization, I say that deliberately because what we're actually doing here is playing a role in someone's story. And the workspace may or may not play a role in that story. It may be that somebody uh, that you meet just quit their job. They need to meet a bunch of other people who can help them. And they can participate in stuff that's happening in your community that can help them along on that journey. And if somebody gets to know that person, gets to understand where they're at in their journey, and gets that person to understand what this organization can do to help them, then that person's gonna be a lot more likely to buy into the whole process, to stick around, maybe even to rent workspace there and stay there because they have a reason to, um, than they would if, if they were just coming in to rent an office and being left alone. And so that critical bit of, of really shifting the relationship between the organization and the individual before they even see the website, before they even kind of come in to rent space. Uh, that, that's really something I think can be taught and can be scaled. Uh, it's just most of the spaces have gotten into the space rental mentality from the very beginning, and that's what's kind of made an uphill battle for them. Even somebody like WeWork, like WeWork really wants to build great community. They're putting tremendous effort into building great community, but they have a... Uh, an uphill battle because they're perceived as an office rental company first. And that's going to make it that much harder for them to get people to want to engage in the community programming that they're doing. I just want to let that steep for a second, that, that bit about um, you're playing a role in someone's story rather than renting them a desk and Wi-Fi. That's just like, let's all steep in that for a minute. It's, Great, Tony. Thank you. Um, I want to talk about you, some big picture stuff for a second. Um, we've known each other now for some years. We've, we've transitioned through some things together. We've seen each other through a lot. Um, when you kind of pull back and think about like your North Star or your best life, um, what are you, where are you at? What are you working on? What do you want to see in this life? I'll tell you, Kat, one of the things that kind of vulnerability is uh, something that this podcast is about, right? Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of things that I could do, but I'm in a position with all the people that I've met through all of these conferences, through all these online conversations, through all these different things that I've built, through New York Cities and Gathering Summit and through coworking.org, which I've been involved in as well there is just so much collective 
power that we possess as a community. And I'm very aware of the fact that it exists and the fact that it is latent for the most part, that all these people, everyone's kind of doing their thing. And I could tell you all about all the incredible ways that co-working is changing the world as it is. But I'll tell you, it is so drippingly real to me how much potential we're sitting on that we're just not activating. And it tears at me. It keeps me up because I can't help but think if we could just get the right formula, the right approach, the right way of thinking of it, that we could snap our fingers and do some incredible stuff as a movement collectively together. And that drives, I mean, it drives me nuts because I want to figure out how to like really nail that. And I'm working on a couple of different ways of approaching it. But just to give you an example, a few years back when Alex Hillman was uh, given the opportunity to purchase coworking.com and coworking.org from someone who had been sitting on it for a while and they had a buyer coming in, but they said, hey, we'd rather sell it to the movement than this private company. And Alex went to the coworking movement and said, hey, um, we have a chance to buy these domains that could be very important to the movement, but I need to raise $10,000 by tomorrow. And he posted a whole thing about how to do it. And he had to cut off fundraising because so much money was coming in that he literally didn't know what to do with all of it because we all jumped to action so quickly. And he, I mean, he, if he needed to raise $100,000, he would have been able to do it, right? And intuitively, you think about the hundreds, the thousands of co-working spaces we have and the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of members in those spaces. If even just a small number of us decided together we were going to collectively put our effort towards solving a problem, or addressing a particular need, when you think about the collective reach and power and impact that our physical spaces and our communities have, I mean, my goodness, what, a, what, what energy we have, what power we have to, to do good in this world. That's driving me nuts because we gotta do more with that. We have to. Yep, I agree. I see, you know, we kind of rally and we create different projects and this and that. Some of them carry on, you know, kind of limp along. Some of them just get, abandoned but uh man you're not alone with that with that thinking and yeah the power between space owners and operators and allies and then times that by the 30 or 200 or a thousand people who are working in their spaces um i'd love to hear it's just a massive it's a massive um potential there i'd love to hear some things that you'd like to see us working on. Yeah. Let's, I mean, let's just like, let's pick a goal right now. That would be like a hairy, ambitious goal that we just conjure right now. Let's All say right. we want a hundred thousand women to start the first businesses that they've ever started in their lives. We want to see that happen. We want co-working to play a role in, in facilitating that happen. Does that sound completely unreasonable? Not at all. Considering they're what, 17, 18, 19,000 co working spaces, all of them probably have a third to 100% women. Yeah, no, not at all. It's, it's not crazy, especially the Alex Hillman, the, the fundraising example. That's, I feel like we should shout that from the rooftops, like the potential. And I think that also speaks to um, the strength of that, like the, the, founders of this movement, right? Um, before I ever was kind of inside co-working, you all were, were doing this movement building. And 
I think that when it maybe when it was smaller, it was tighter or whatever. I don't know. Like it's gotten so massive, but um, yeah, no, that's not that that big goal is not at all unrealistic. It's it might even be happening already. <laughs> we don't yeah. know because we're like <laughs> that's definitely part of my story of going from an employed person to a freelance person to a business owner through co-working. Yeah. And having people so, around me say, yes, do it. Yeah. So I'd love to see us pick something to work on as a movement collectively. And maybe it can be a little more general. Maybe it can be really specific. Maybe we can say we want to, let's figure out what it would it take to help 10,000 people from underserved communities start their first business or whatever, right? If you pick something pretty straightforward, really important to the world and say, what would it take for us to figure this out as a movement? I feel like we got to do something like that. And that's, that's where I'd like to take my efforts with my existing network at Newark Cities is to make them um, more meaningful centers of impact for their regions. And I think that if we're able to at least even start moving some of our spaces in that direction, that's going to really create a nice storyline that I can tell to people when I introduce myself at parties so that they understand why I'm not a, uh, a real estate consultant. Okay, Tony. So it's on when I share this in the notes and then when I spread it out through all the channels, I'm going to ask people to reply with their idea. And then we're going to take all the ideas and like an unconference, see which ones kind of surface to the top. And then we're gonna um, we're gonna see if we can make something cool happen. You down? All right, the gauntlet is thrown. The gauntlet is thrown. All right, um, God, Tony, thank you so much. Uh, any last thoughts before we jump off? And also, where can people find you? Ooh, thank you for that. Last thoughts are I don't know maybe we should do an unconference. I've always been curious what it would be like to do a virtual unconference. I think it can absolutely be done. It would be really fun. So um, yeah, maybe we could do that one day. Uh, you can find my company Newark Cities at nwc.co. Nwc like Newark Cities.co. And I am a Tony Bacigalupo. You can email me Tony T O N Y at nwc.co. I'm Tony Be Good on Twitter and Instagram. That's Tony B G O O D E. Tony, I love you. I'm so glad that our paths, I want to say connected, but it's like collided. And um, it's just, it's awesome to know you and see you doing your work in the world. Thank you so much for the chat. I love you too, Kat. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Thank you for doing all the great work that you're doing to help the movement and the people in it. I'm excited to see what people come back with. We might do a thing. Let's do a thing. <laughs> Let's do a thing. I'm